Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, welcome to the Mortification of Spin. We're so grateful that you chose to uh, spend some time with us today. Well, our, our subject is a serious one. It is a topic that we would love to be able to put to rest once and for all. But unfortunately, as we all know, it's one that uh, continues to come up through headlines and through stories that uh, so many of us are familiar with. And it's the issue of child abuse within the church. It's a grievous reality. It is a heinous sin. And of course, it's a crime as well. And because we continue to see stories confirming that child abuse continues to be a problem within the church, it's important that we continue to shine a light on it in various ways, hoping to awaken the laity and awaken the leadership of churches to this continuing problem as well as to encourage churches to have policies put in place and strenuously practiced to try to mitigate against this issue. And I say mitigate against it because I would imagine that so long as we are south of heaven, we will always have predators among us. Um, So let's throw the the topic open. There's several ways we want to go at this, but Carl, I was wondering if you want to kind of uh, direct our, our next avenue in regard to our discussion yeah the first thing i want to highlight is the relationship between the civic sphere and the church sphere Mm -hmm. i think a lot of christians have a rather sentimental view that crimes within the church or certain crimes within the church should be dealt with by the church nobody makes that case for murder Mm. incidentally but you do hear cases sometimes when cases come to court you'll hear examples of child abuse that's gone on within the church and the church perhaps with the best of intentions Mm -hmm. has attempted to to solve the problem itself so the first thing i want to do is to say that as christians we need to realize that church and state are different spheres Mm -hmm. we all belong all christians belong to them both you commit a crime as a christian you're going to be disciplined by the church and church discipline fundamentally involves, certainly in the Presbyterian tradition, removing somebody from the communion table, Mm -hmm. removing them from the communion role. But the state too has a right to punish you. Let's say somebody in in my church commits a heinous crime, we're going to discipline them as a church session. But the civic sphere, the secular state, might also wish to punish them by sending them to prison. Right. I, I want to sort of lay that yeah. foundation that we, we – I think we're probably getting beyond that now in the Christian world. I hope so. I hope so. But we need to be certain that criminal activity is criminal activity mm-hmm. and is liable to state penalties whether or not you're a communicant member of the church. Right, right. And, and I do hope we're going beyond that. I mean, all three of us have heard the stories of – child abuse being dealt with as a church discipline matter only and probably all three of us have heard these horror stories of a of a perpetrator and a victim being brought into the same room together so that the victim the child victim can forgive the perpetrator because the bible says forgive and so you have in those cases a terrible combination of really bad application of the scripture 
and stupidity, along with what may be some malice as well. And I say malice of it, it may be driven in some of those cases along by the church's desire to simply protect their reputation. And we can't let this get out. It'll hurt when you're furthering the, the abuse. I mean, you're absolutely furthering the abuse in, in, in that regard. Part of it. Right. At this point. Yeah. And so the idea that a church can or should deal with child abuse as a matter of strictly of church discipline and reconciliation is not only naive, but it, it, it's to further the abuse of that child also. And it's to break the law mm-hmm. because we're, we're mandatory reporters. The church is a mandatory reporter. We have we have a legal obligation to report child abuse if it's going on among if we have knowledge of it and it's going on in our church. Why wouldn't you? I mean, that's the part yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think churches, in some cases, obviously where it's happened and obviously it's happened, I think part of it is a fear that it's a sinful motive, but it's a fear of what this was going to do to the church. Is it going to split the church? Is Are people going to leave the church? And, of course, you put that next to a child's welfare and you wonder how anybody could make the wrong choice. But clearly, churches have made the wrong choice. After... You know, in hindsight, with all these cases that have kind of gone public with uh, child abuse cover up in churches, it just really made me think, uh, reexamine, even as a parent. Um, you know, we talk a lot to churches about what they can do to help prevent and then how to deal with, which we need to continue to talk about. But also, as a parent, just how to educate our children. You know, you. In church, you want them to look good, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you want them to have respect for the um, right. for their teachers and the leaders in the church, which is important. But at the same time, you also want them to recognize and be able to speak out when something is wrong and to say, to say no when they need mm-hmm. to be able to say no. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's important for parents to be reminded to, to continue to have that conversation yeah. um, with their children you know, everywhere they are, obviously, but in the church as well, right. unfortunately. Right. Yeah, it feels almost, it makes me feel almost physically sick that we do have to have those conversations. Yeah, it really does. But but we do. And, and again, I, I mean, it feels like we don't go very long from week to week without hearing some story of child abuse in a church, be it a Catholic church or a Protestant church. And so the idea that we have to tell talk to our children about this even to be on guard um, in the church is uh, so just many an awful of the reality. people who volunteer their time to teach our children right. you know, are wonderful people yep. sacrificially giving their time and talents and love to our children and mm-hmm. and we want to uphold that and our gratitude for that and encourage yeah. people to do that but then also you know even if it's one percent mm-hmm. even you know, in talking to my children, I have a wonderful family, but I'm still going to say, if anyone even in our family right. were to touch you in a wrong way, yeah. I need to know about it right away. Right. Your father needs to know about it right away. Um, you are able to say no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all those types, of, you have to say that stuff. Right. So how do we do this without making children believe that every adult who crosses right. their path is a potential rapist? Because even though there's been... And you know, there's been a lot of child abuse in the mm-hmm. church. It's still only a very, very tiny percentage mm-hmm. of church workers that have engaged right. in this. So how do we keep that balance of, of allowing our children to grow up 
should I say, trusting adults, but not trusting them uncritically. I'm not quite sure how to express it, but maybe that's the best way of putting it. Yeah. You know, this has been occurring to me recently because, you know, my children were raised in church. My two boys still live at home, and so they're actively involved in our church, and they've benefited enormously throughout their life from wonderful children's workers and then youth workers. And on the one hand, gosh, you know, I value them and I don't, I don't want, I, I'm picturing the youth workers in our church right now. And these are wonderful, godly people. And I don't want ever, I don't want them to ever feel like I'm treating them like a potential rapist. And yet at the same time, these workers are sharp enough to know that we live in difficult times in regard to this. And so I clearly, we have to have policies (laughs) that are applied across the board to every single worker. And we know why we have those policies. They, as workers, know why we have policies like police background checks and two adults in the room at at all times. They are aware of the fact that we have those policies precisely because we understand that predators infiltrate churches because churches are soft targets. And so, and, and yet they're not offended by that. They understand why we have to have those policies. And sometimes you lose volunteers, right. let's say for yeah. the nursery, because you know people who would normally say, yeah, put me on the schedule, mm-hmm. but now you have to go through a background right. check. And some won't do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Some some won't do that. And right. Some don't want the federal government having their fingerprints. <laughs> As an immigrant, they have so many copies of my fingerprints. <laughs> anyway. but, but no, there are privacy concerns. Some mm-hmm. people are genuinely concerned about their privacy. It's not that they... They don't want to help, but they have principal objection to providing certain information mm-hmm. to, to the government. Right, right. And it's one of those things where, I mean, I, I know at our church we have some pretty strict policies, and you cannot be a children's worker or a youth worker without submitting those policies, going through police background checks. It's just immovable. And the vast majority of people completely understand But periodically, you're going to have to have a hard conversation with somebody. Maybe it's Aunt Millie, who's been working with children for 40 years. And as a church, you've never had child protection policies. And now you finally realized. This is pretty new. I mean, it's pretty new. Exactly. And now you finally realized you have to have Mm -hmm. formal child protection policies written and agreed upon. And maybe Aunt Millie is going to say, I've been working in (laughs) in this church with these kids for 40 years. I'm not going to. Unfortunately, you'll have to explain to Aunt Millie that then she won't be able to be a children's worker anymore. Now, and that's the hard conversation. But the fact is, you have to to apply those policies without passion and prejudice, because once again, why are predators successful? Precisely because they can go unnoticed at least for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and it's vitally important that churches find out what the specific state law is right. on this. Lot of, it varies. I think it's a state rather than a federal thing yes. generally in America. Find out what the state law is. And also realize that if you're a mandated reporter, and there are technical definitions of that given in mm-hmm. the law codes, uh, if you're a mandated reporter, it's actually a criminal offense not to report an allegation, even right. if the allegation seems totally bizarre. Mm-hmm. If you're a mandated reporter, you might well be legally obliged to report it to Chardline or, or right. whomever. It's not typically the police. There's usually a kind of mm-hmm. buffer yep. between you and the police. So it's not it's not you making the decision on whether this is a criminal matter or not, right. which is a good thing. It protects child workers. But you need to realize that if you are not reporting allegations when they come to you as a mandated reporter, you can go to prison. Right. It's taken that seriously by the government. Right. 
it is very important. And, you know, what does this do then uh, to, to the church's witness? How many people have, you know, rejected the faith and rejected Christ because either they were abused or they look at the abuse that goes on the church and they're so disgusted. And you, you might say, oh, well, you know, that's their problem. You know, they shouldn't, you know, it, as I think about various excuses to walk away from church, child abuse is a pretty good excuse. Now, it's ultimately not satisfactory because you're accountable to God, but I understand why someone would be so hurt and so damaged that they wouldn't mm-hmm. want anything to do with church again. And so it's incumbent upon the church to be as disgusted and revulsed by child abuse as anybody else, enough so that they will go they will do everything that they must do to protect children, to see that perpetrators experience the full weight of Unbelievers justice. know this. Right. So Christians should know this. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, if a child is abused in the church, then he or she ought to find their greatest champions within the church. Then. Right. Right. I mean, and I think of all the policies that are put in place now to protect our children in the churches and you know you see the changes happening with half doors being put in and windows and, and all these things yep. and it's i could only like dream of all the the houses that my kids go to spend time at right. <laughs> would have the same policies right. in place mm-hmm. i mean as a parent i worry about so you know the whole world out there the neighbor's house you know but, yeah it's unfortunately you know, something we have to think of, but when we put these policies in place, wow, it's it's wonderful. It really helps. Yes. Uh, you know, Amy, you mentioned things like half doors and that kind of thing, which mm-hmm. are, you know, all of the doors in our children's ministry area, half mm-hmm. doors, there's windows. When I was a youth pastor, I very much appreciated those things. Right. Mm-hmm. It gives um, comfort to the, the workers, I believe. Yep. Yep. It protects them. Mm-hmm. Like, um, see me <laughs> here, exactly. you know, exactly. open book. It's openness. You know, what in mm-hmm. the world? would a children's or youth ministry class need to do that should be hidden from prying eyes? Nothing. And so that ought to be reflected in the architecture of the facility you're in. If you're in a facility that for whatever reason has some rooms that have no visual access, then whatever you do, don't put children and youth in those rooms. (laughs) Find a way to keep them in the open for the safety of everyone. But it's also in some ways the art of the possible as well. Obviously, there are legal requirements that have to be met. We don't simply as churches want to meet the bare legal minimum, though. Right. We, we want to go above and beyond the call in order to make the environment truly safe for children. On the other hand, you know, a church of a 1,000 members with a, a 300, 400, 500,000 budget has possibilities, may have right. a bigger building, has much greater possibilities for 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 doing right. creative things relative to child care yes. that a church like mine with mm-hmm. 150 people in a very tiny building doesn't have. So right. it is going to look different, I think, in, in different churches depending yes. on the material factors. Mm-hmm. You have to make the legal requirements work with what you have available mm-hmm. in your particular church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and get as creative as you can to do some of these things. And, and Carl, you're absolutely right. You know, th- there's going to be some churches that don't have a quote children's wing with walls of glass all opened and, and that sort of thing. Is that However, what you have time? well, no, we don't have walls of glass, but we do have windows <laughs> and, and half doors. But you know, if all you have are interior rooms uh, without windows, then do some creative things, you know, buy a half door 
or keep the door open and put a children's gate in front of it and the door just always remains open. Whatever you have to do to improvise, to keep openness and to keep eyes on is going to be is going to be important. And again, I, I just think oftentimes pastors, and, and, and I think that this is changing because of all that's gone on, but certainly up until very recently, I think pastors and church leaders, ministry leaders have maybe overestimated their ability to spot a predator. How many times does this happen? And what are the, what do we hear? We never thought it would ever be so-and-so. You know, it's like the person who lives next door to the serial killer, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) He was the nicest guy. Yeah. I would also say that when you're hiring staff, and I don't have any money to hire Mm -hmm. staff, I've always been amazed, just generally speaking, on the hiring front, how few people actually take references. Right. You know, you you always need to ask the previous employer for a reference. Right. It's amazing how many people don't bother with this. And yet... I want to know that the person I'm hiring, when, when I was academic dean at Westminster, I wanted to know that the people I was hiring hadn't left their previous employer because there was a suspicion they'd stolen something mm-hmm. or that you know, there was a problem with this, that, or the other. So don't just depend on government background checks. If you're actually hiring nursery workers and child workers, I think references can be useful as well because Absolutely. they may throw up issues and all kinds of issues that may be fly under the radar of a government background check. Right. And you might be very surprised at the number of churches, pastors, other people who will find themselves on a reference sheet, the number of them who will not actually say, hey, listen, you need to know there were some accusations about this person Mm. and his relationship with some of the children. The reason why I know that is because I know of two specific instances where that happened, where two men on staff of two different churches left a church where there were credible allegations of child abuse, child sexual abuse. They were allowed to leave the church. These are Protestant, conservative Protestant churches. They were allowed to leave that church and go to another church where they abused again. References had been contacted. And literally, one of the conversations I had with with a pastor of a church where this happened was, we talked to this person's references. We contacted them again to say, were there any problems like this at your church? Well, yes, there were. Why didn't you tell us? Because you didn't ask. That makes me so mad. I yep. mean, that's yep. such a huge yeah. part of the yeah. problem yep. we're having. And yeah. so the point is, is that you've got to contact those references and you've got to ask specifically, have there ever been allegations about this person that seemed in any way credible? You've got to ask those kinds of questions because I know of two situations mm. where, well, we didn't tell them because we didn't ask. Churches are afraid of getting sued. Yeah, there's all kinds of things that go into it. It's why telephone references are, are very good. Yep. I mean, I remember once, nothing to do with child abuse at all, but talking, somebody contacted me and said, would it be good to hire this person? And I emailed them back and I said, I need to speak to my employer's lawyer just to check what I can say to you, and then mm-hmm. I'll call you back. And the person emailed me straight back and said, it's okay, I don't think we need to have this conversation. <laughs> so there are, there are ways of, of getting the message out there. Right. And that was nothing to do with child abuse, but there are right. ways of getting the message out there yes. that right. don't leave you liable to mm-hmm. being sued, mm-hmm. and yet which wise and thoughtful people should pick up on immediately. Right, indeed. I mean, indeed. we should be thinking about the children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that ought to be the concern. 
and not the reputation of the church. And of course, just strictly speaking pragmatically here, if your concern is the reputation of your church, if you want to wreck the reputation of your church, then try to cover it up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I know. I mean, if, if you're actually far worse. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you're going to be just strictly cynical and pragmatic about it, then expose it mm-hmm. because you'll protect the reputation of your church you better doing that uh-huh. than trying to hide it. Right. I mean, I would feel much more confident in a church that dealt with it. Yeah. P- again, people understand that there are predators out there. Right. People understand that oftentimes these predators are very good at disguising themselves. Most people don't expect a church to be a walled fortress. You know, again, most people get that. And so, you know, not that that is a problem that won't perhaps stay with you as a church. Not that people might not bring that up. But the fact is, boy, a lot of churches are going to be touched by this in one way or another. Let it not be because of negligence. And that's my, you know, I pray that the Lord will protect the church I serve from predators, but I know that they're out there. And I, I know see that, that some of them are very abuse good. too. I mean, sure. you know, to be in a church to see where that is dealt with well, mm-hmm. I think is a very comforting you bet. thing. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I've appreciated is, is as we've dealt with a few issues at our church to, to hear then from people within the church, thank you for protecting us. Thank you for watching out for us. It gives your the flock that you're supposed to care for confidence that their shepherds are watching over them and protecting them from wolves, not only theological wolves, but those who would actually do them harm in other ways as well. Part and parcel to being a shepherd is, is identifying wolves. A shepherd that cannot identify a wolf is by definition a bad shepherd. Right. I mean, that is literally mm-hmm. part of the job mm-hmm. description. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we can't always, when it comes to these abusers, we can't always identify them automatically up front. But once you begin to see something and, and once the it's clear, you've, you've got to out them and you've got to deal with it legally. Mm-hmm. There's just no other way to do it. And shame on us if we do. I would also suggest whatever size church you're in, point one person to look after this, mm-hmm. to make sure the paperwork's up yes. to date and to keep their eyes on changes in the law. Yes. Uh, a lot of churches, some churches... I. I think maybe there are even some churches out there now who are not aware that there's almost certainly a state law that they have to comply with yes. and are therefore almost by definition not complying with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good to have one person who specializes in your church in this area to get the paperwork together, to get mandated reporter training going, all of these yeah. things that I think are very, very important. And I've done the mandated trainer right. reporting course at my church i'm guessing you have todd mm-hmm. it's an extremely important area and because it's changing all the time i right. think you do need somebody keeping their eye on it yep absolutely that's good advice well it's been a, a sobering conversation today here at mortification of spin uh, we hope it was helpful to you and if you want to go on over to our website mortification of spin.org um, you can download a free talk ministering christ to victims of sexual abuse And you also have the option to buy um, a CD, Sex, Sin, and Salvation, God's Grace in a Fallen World. So go on over there and get your free resource. And um, we always appreciate prayers and donations. If you want to give us a rating, as Carl says, only if you want to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, you can go ahead and do that as well. And we will talk to you next time.
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about... Yes, I do believe in a prayer language. There's 150 psalms that give us wonderful prayer language. One thing I've asked of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. The way that there's this honesty about the flux of human life and the frustrations and the Mm -hmm. the angst of human life always played out against this backdrop of the faithfulness of God. You know, it was the Word of God that gave Jesus hope. Like, He is meditating on Psalm 22. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Talking about how to make mac and cheese. You're changing your Facebook page. <laughs> You're telling your husband how to make mac and cheese. Even I, I think. My probably. two sons know how to make no homemade mac, to make and, cheese. mac and cheese. Pull, pull it up oh. on the internet and struggle okay. through. First you get the lobster. Not for the youth. <laughs> okay, then hot dogs. Have them chop some hot dogs up and throw it in there. I went to a church potluck one time and that's they had chopped up hot dogs in the macaroni and cheese. I kid really? you not. I kid you not.